As we record this episode, there's probably still confetti falling after the Los Angeles Rams uh, won Super Bowl 56. The commercials, Coinbase basically just phoned it in. But I will say everybody got their phone out for that and engaged with them during that commercial, I would guess. You're talking about this ad for, for 60 seconds where they just had a QR code bouncing around the screen, right? Is that the one we're talking about? Yeah. Do you think they just phoned it in or was that purposeful? I think it was good, quite honestly. Because, I mean, you sit there and you go, what is this? You know, so there's only one way to find out what it is. I mean, until the very, very end, I guess their name popped up there or whatever. But that was smart. So now how much crypto do you now own? Uh, Zero. What you're proving, you had a good engagement rate. You had very low conversion rates. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 263 of Touchpoint. Over there is Chris Boyer. Over here is Reed Smith. Uh, hold on, Reed. I'm buying about uh, $300 million worth of cryptocurrency right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <We're, laughs> from my we're, iPhone. <laughs> yeah, we're retired now from a QR code. It's great. Well, here we are on the heels of the Super Bowl talking about consumers. How fitting. All ties together nicely. Very quickly before we jump into today's episode, do want to give a quick plug for the website touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can go to find out more about this episode, this show, Chris or myself, uh, other shows, other episodes on the network, topics, show hosts, all that kind of fun stuff. Touchpoint.health. Also, while you're there, you'll notice up in the top navigation, the TPS report. That is uh, very, very simple. You click on that, you give us your email address, and we will do one thing, one thing only with said email address, which is email you. I'm going to say most Mondays or all Mondays, they're not holidays, maybe, with five articles to start your week. That's it. Just five articles to get your week started. So uh, we'll break here for just a second. You surf over there, give us your email address, and you'll get on our list of these wonderful week starting emails. And then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. (laughs) 
healthcare consumerism, Reed, is a topic that we always love to talk about here on the show because I think it's very complex and it changes a lot. It, it does. We've talked about it a number of times on the show. And it's just so funny. I'm looking here on my desk, you know, kind of behind my screen, and I'm just looking at the books that are on my desk. And one of them is called Creating Customer Loyalty in Healthcare. 1999 is when this was uh, written. Wow. So it's not like this is a new topic. The trusted advisor, dual transformation, change by design, um, switch, hug your haters, the glue train manifesto, everybody writes, e-commerce. You know, all these books, I think, tie in to some extent, word of mouth marketing to, you know, to consumerism. And I think in recent years, we have made this a little bit more of a focus, I think, which is good, but I think it'll be fun to dig back into this topic. Later on in today's show, you're going to be interviewing Chris Bevelo, who has written a new book around healthcare consumerism and other trends that, that he's seeing. And remember, he is the very famous for the book that came out many years ago called Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, which is really about understanding your consumer better. So this is going to be an interesting, meaty topic that we're going to dive into today. And we're going to kick it off, Reed, by talking about one trend that is something that we've noticed a big rise and then a big drop in today's consumer, which is this whole concept of the conscious consumer. The conscious consumer. Um, it's interesting, right? Because you would assume all consumers are conscious. <laughs> well, it depends on how you define that, right? Yeah, it depends <laughs> on how you define it. But this article is actually from Fast Company, one that you found. Conscious consumerism has bounced back after a pandemic low. This is a, written by a person whose company does the Conscious Consumer Spending Index, and they've been doing that since 2013. The author kind of starts off by saying, you know, remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we all rallied as Americans. We're all about helping local businesses. We were out there banging pans to promote <laughs> our local healthcare workers at seven o'clock yeah. at night. There's like this whole conscious, purposeful consumerism action that was happening. But then at the end of 2020, the air was a little bit let out of the balloon. Purposeful behaviors dramatically declined in the, in the surveys that his company did. They found that circumstances of COVID ended up really dramatically dividing our country on many fronts. In effect, at the end of 2020, consumerism and the conscious consumer, they felt drained of energy. And then they did another study at the end of 2021. And what did they find, Reed? Uh, we're at an all-time high. You know, it's like a yo-yo. But yeah, so now we're, uh, you know, 25% jump from the previous year, which I guess had gone down, right? So, I mean, to be fair. And they call it in here that 83% of respondents said that how a company treated its employees during the pandemic will be an important factor whether determining to support that company in the future, uh, which is up 72% from 2020. So, I think... You know, we're getting kind of on the backside of this. People are understanding what it means to them, what it means to their friends, their family, kind of the economy, you know, things like that. And they're seeing, you know, all the studies on burnout and, you know, people are quitting in droves and, you know, all these types of things. I'm not talking about healthcare necessarily, but just, just in general. And so, you know, people want to really associate themselves and do business with places that seem to take care of their communities. Yeah, and that's becoming one of those important factors in their likelihood to utilize your company or or recommend your company. I mean, this is going to be dramatically impacting like net promoter scores and how conscious consumers are actually behaving. Some other stats from the study 
72% of respondents said a company's purpose or mission is, is important to earn their support moving forward, which was an increase of about 11% from the previous year. And being trustworthy as a factor in picking a company jumped 10% from 74% last year to 84% this year. Subsequently, this Conscious Consumer Spending Index study did is ask customers if the ability for a company to demonstrate positive impact on society and the environment is a factor. And not only was it a factor, it also jumped up 10% over the year. Crazy. Yeah, and they kind of pulled this to conclusion by saying that, you know, if this trend continues, which you would assume it, it would, that it's really going to create and provide, you know, put some pressure on companies to really force them to be seen as socially responsible and, and take it serious, you know, take actual action. Consumers uh, are not going to be swayed. We, you know, we just talked about Super Bowl advertising, not going to be swayed by, you know, these big advertising budgets and, and even brand recognition, which I don't know if I completely agree. Uh, like, for example, I don't drink soft drinks anymore, but I used to love Coke, right? It has nothing to do with Coke. I just don't drink soft drinks anymore. But Coke doing something or not doing something, I don't know is going to change my willingness to order a Coke, right? So, I mean, I think some companies maybe, but like I didn't like Pepsi, so I wasn't going to switch to Pepsi because they were more socially responsible. So I think some of this may be industry specific, or you may see it more in certain industries. I don't know. What do you think? I think you're right. I think industry by industry, it's important to kind of consider that because this previous study we were just talking about was all industries, right? So it was an, an international right. study that they did, but agreed. Read as we've talked about before on this show, we work in healthcare, and I think health systems are very much top of mind to the consumer in terms of what we're doing in our community and how we're furthering health. That's part of the trust that they have with us, but it's also part of the responsibility that we need to keep reinforcing to our community that we're not just here to deliver healthcare when you're sick, we're here helping to contribute to the wellness of our society. Well, and I think that kind of goes back to this idea of businesses or organizations that provide a service versus a product. Again, I love hot tamales. Like I have no idea who even owns that company. Like I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Like I don't even know what that. So I think you can go all the way down to the lower end of the spectrum, and it's like, look, I, I'm not going to change my buying habits. Like I don't even know. Literally, don't even know who the company is. All the way up to you know some of these organizations that are the largest employers in town, and you know anyway. So I, I think there's just there's a broad spectrum here, but I think it's an interesting thing to to watch and look at. By doing that, it really, I think it reinforces for us that it's really all about the consumer, which is a nice segue to another article that we found that's called It's All About the Consumer, Healthcare Marketing Executives Focus for 2022. So now we're kind of shifting our lens to the consumer in the healthcare space. And this article came to us from uh, Health Leaders, just recently was published, where they were sharing a recent report by Smith & Jones shared several healthcare trends that are going to be essential for marketing execs at hospitals and health systems to focus in on this year. Yeah, and it says that uh, due to competition from retail companies and drugstores, standalone urgent care centers, on-demand virtual care companies, as well as uh, you know the delivery system, you know, which has obviously changed a bit due to the pandemic, and, and you'll hear Chris Bevel and I talk about this a little bit later. We kind of touch on this idea, uh, but that hospitals and healthcare systems must find a way to create 
strong branding relationships with patients and consumers. That's right. And this article kind of highlights how some leading hospitals across the country are addressing it. And we're going to just kind of shorthand this. The link is in the show notes. Go check it out. You can read kind of a fuller breakdown of what each health system is kind of doing and and get, get some thoughts here. But they group it all into three major areas. And the first is around personalized care and messaging. And they lead with one quote from the Mayo Clinic, where their their chief marketing officer says that they're thinking about that consumer and what messages are already shared with Mayo Clinic in various different ways, either either if it's from social media or if it's through their patient portal or what have you. Ultimately, the whole point about analyzing all of those messages is to then share messages to them that are relevant across whatever the specific condition, tailoring marketing messages to make them more relevant for that specific person. That's how they're trying to address personalized care and messaging. And kind of also in that in that arena, uh, there's uh, some notes here from Wellspan. Uh, they talk a lot about the fact that marketing should be individualized, right? So how can we continually make products and services more specific to the individual? Uh, they say that one of their focal points will be to implement platforms and capabilities that enable more personalization and increase engagement by creating and curating high-quality content that resonates with the consumer at different stages of their journey across all channels. That sounds really daunting when we talk about that because, as you know, that gets really complex. It's hard to map all the journeys because consumer journeys are not that linear. One of the other high-level trends they pull out is increasing digital engagement. For example, Bon Secours Mercy Health is all about establishing a relationship with consumers before they need care as part of their wellness journey. Using data when connecting with them in that those those non like on the way to the hospital types of engagements will allow them to develop strategies to make healthcare easier for their community and for consumers in their market. Also, uh, Virtua Health, uh, kind of underneath this banner of increasing in digital engagement, they're continuing to orient to the consumer. So using data, digital tools like CRM, which we've talked a lot about, to better segment, personalize, and connect with people and actually deliver information to them that matters the most. Uh, says that they're prioritizing engagement through a robust content marketing strategy where they're reimagining their website to be more intuitive uh, and to be the go-to resource in really focusing on intentional design of the uh, consumer experience. Okay, so we have one trend around personalizing messaging, another around yep. using digital channels to help to increase and, and touch people throughout that journey. The last is something that a lot of marketers may not think about first, but it's also very important, which is your community impact. The City of Hope, Orange County, talks about how they're focused on understanding patients' needs, building relationships within the community, and then intensifying work, you know, through multicultural engagement and looking out at like those community touch points that they have in order to start to enhance that customer relationship or that patient relationship. Also underneath that heading, we see something in here from Ascension. They continue to explore ways to leverage signature brand moments into mission-focused opportunities they say to support sustainable community impact and social change. You know, they're a big organization, certainly, and they can leverage that across the company, but they also have big brands in the markets that they're in. And so I think they've got, you know, a real opportunity to do that, certainly. Well, let's do this. Let's take a brief pause here, Reed. And when we come back after the break, we'll kind of reflect back on what we just talked through. And then we'll, we'll talk about how this can lead to more of this empowered patient experience. But we'll do that right after we take a brief pause. 
Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. It's clear, Reed, we know that it's all about the consumer. If we're going to be successful at what we do as marketers, as digital marketers, as whoever in, in hospitals and health systems around the country, we have to start focusing on that consumer. So we talked about, right, that the consumer mind shift is, is switching. They're still loyal to brands that do things in their community. But moreover, you know, this whole concept of personalized care, increasing digital engagement using digital channels, and also reaching out into the community to develop that better engagement with all of the, the potential patients, uh, existing patients, frankly, the consumers in their marketplace, right? But how does that lead to empowered patient experience? Well, we found an article to talk about it. Yes, we did. And it's from uh, ACHE, which if folks aren't familiar, uh, it's uh, um, you know kind of the professional organization, I guess, uh, where you can actually become board certified as a healthcare administrator. So it's a, it's a very trusted uh, kind of central focal point for those predominantly kind of in the operations world uh, of healthcare, uh, especially in the hospital space. But it's titled Consumerism and the Empowered Patient Experience. Right. And it was written by uh, Laura Anderson, and it's a blog post that she kind of put out to indicate some trends that she is seeing that really resonate to some of the themes that we've been talking about, Reed, over the years. First of all, let's orient again back to the patient's they're becoming active, empowered consumers. Consumerism is here to stay. And with that, there's a lot of things that, are, that come along with it. Shopping for care is something that's, that's why we're talking about, like, how do, we, how do other organizations kind of address shopping? Uh, how can we take those trends and bring them in? But there's other things, too. With healthcare consumers, they're looking for quality and value. I think that, you know, it's it's less about finding the cheapest healthcare solution in their market. They want to choose the, the highest quality and highest value. So what do we have to do as an industry to kind of manage that? Certainly, we have the opportunity to kind of help in, enhance this patient experience. And on the marketing communications side, you know, we think a lot about tools and platforms and things like that. Now we're starting to see some of those, not just things we use, but kind of make their way, you know, onto the consumer service side of the equation. So, you know, they're talking here about empowering consumers and so leading to better outcomes, uh, not only for the patients, but also for the providers and, and even sometimes the payers. I know you and I have touched on this before over the last, you know, five years, but healthcare costs is one of the, the things that I think is important for us to to talk about as how it impacts consumerism. Yeah. A study by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that since 2010, healthcare deductibles have risen 111%. Wow. D- deductibles have risen that much and family premiums have gone up 55%. I've actually felt this personally. It's more expensive nowadays. 
Well, and, and conversely, uh, they're talking here about the you know earnings, your wages have risen by just twenty seven percent and inflation by nineteen uh, percent. So you know we're not keeping up, so we're making less, right? Is basically what it amounts to. I'm not sure if this is actually playing it out, but we before when we were doing when we've done market research around you know healthcare consumerism and we try to raise up this fact about you know what is the cost the the out of pocket expense. What Laura is putting forward is that these rising out-of-pocket costs are actually one of the attributors around driving a passive healthcare consumer in the past Mm -hmm. into a more active one, because now they are actually feeling that impact. And so that's why there's kind of this drive towards researching and, and publishing care costs and finding value for their dollar. She talks in here about the fact, I think she's right, uh, certainly probably for some folks more than others, but... You know, that people are, are making this decision much like they do, you know, other large purchases in their in their daily lives. You know, so they're going to the Internet, you know, they're evaluating, you know, how good is it? You know, is it predictable? Is, you know, would you recommend it? You know, it, you know the convenience value part of it, all that kind of stuff. So, there was a, f- a federal rule that says we had to start to publish shoppable services on our websites. I think it, w- it went in place last year. Uh, in 2021. I know that on my team, we recently updated that across our website for 2022. We've even implemented tools where consumers can search for care. And what we're noticing is, is that those tools are starting to get a lot more traffic than they used to. There's kind of an increase. So Mm. this is a trend we want to kind of pay attention to. Pricing and getting a reasonable out-of-pocket estimate for what it might cost, I think is very useful for people, particularly if they're going through various different types of treatments. You know, that's the new uh, healthcare consumer. Next on the list, higher expectations drive higher performance. So she talks in here about the fact that across industries, engaged consumers drive better quality at lower cost. Is that true? Yeah, well, it's stated very simply, but yes, I, that is, if you have a patient that's engaged with their healthcare, they do drive better quality outcomes. Maybe not at lower costs. I think that's a little bit harder to identify. It might be hard to calculate, but certainly the more engaged someone is, the better they'll be adhering to their care protocols. And ultimately, I do believe that does save over the lifetime of the value of that patient. Yeah, I think so. And I think we're starting to see more of it in healthcare, certainly. I'm just trying to kind of think in general, do engaged consumers drive better quality? That's probably true at lower cost. Maybe that's just a competition thing, you know, that ultimately drives yeah. the cost piece of it. Well, we're in a weird market too, Reed, too, right? Is that our costs are kind of disintermediate, right, from the end consumer, at least in many cases. There are still a fair number of people that do self-pay, but we do have the insurance uh, payers in the mix, right? As we talked about last week and when I interviewed Carrie Lichen, the payer is certainly a, a role in this too. But this, you know, this does put a pressure on us as a health system, but that pressure is actually good. It benefits not only patients, it benefits us as providers and it benefits the payers. As you think about it, travel, retail, and financial industries have done a lot to kind of shift around this concept of higher expectation driving higher performance. The author alludes here that we need to leverage a similar approach in healthcare to make it easier for patients to access our services 
and ultimately accelerate this transformation to this more consumer-friendly environment. And I think that's why we're, we're seeing more and more. It's not just telemedicine, right? We're implementing online appointment scheduling. We're doing all of these tools. We're, we're digitizing a lot of the care journey to make it easier for people. And that is, at, in effect, long-term going to save us more money. And that's what, you know, I guess she's calling out here with travel and retail and, you know, the financial industries and things like that, because it's true, you know, I, you know, I was talking to our CEO the other day and he was talking about a, you know, he had a, a, a balance, you know, of a couple hundred dollars or something like that. He gets a notification on his phone, is able to open up my chart and with like two clicks connected to Apple Pay and pay it. So, and that's what people expect and want, because that's, again, that's what they're doing with travel, right? They're going to the Southwest app. They're not calling a travel agent. And sitting on hold with retail, you know, when I bought uh, my son a pair of shoes, did it on the Nike app, you know, never talked to anybody, never went in a store, uh, financial industries, of course, online banking and, and things like that uh, have been around for quite some time. But, you know, even moving to Tennessee, we don't even have a bank in the state. You know, it's not like we don't have one convenient to us. Like there's not one in Tennessee. It doesn't matter anymore. And I think that's where people's expectations have trended. Uh, next thing on the list here, uh, improving the patient experience. And again, that's a topic, you know, PX is something we've talked about for a lot of years, probably since, you know, we partied like it was 1999, somewhere right along in there, I guess, is, is kind of when we really started talking about patient experience and, and the programmatic aspect of that, right? Yeah, but the programmatic aspects, a lot of times before it was around this kind of nebulous concept of how can we do that? Now we have all the tools in place, right? Now that everybody has a phone in their pocket, well, many people have phones in their pockets where they could do and, and interact mm-hmm. with healthcare. How can we start to look across that entire experience prior to visit, even post-visit, making those things a little bit more personalized, a little bit more aligned with what they want to do? Registration forms, check-ins, those sorts of things. I remember mm-hmm, at one mm-hmm. point, I remember there was this, we, uh, one hospital, we, we kind of had this in, initiative that I, uh, where we were going to put tablets all out in the waiting room so people could do virtual check-ins, their kiosks and things like that. Now it's like, how can we move it away from like the tablet that's sitting in the, in the waiting room to your phone itself? That's really kind of the direction we're going. Cause everyone has that, that computer in their pocket now that they can do that. Yeah, plus with COVID, you got to put up all the iPads anyway. <laughs> but it also, you're right. You're right about that. And also is going into post care too, right, Reed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we've spent so much time on the acquisition side, right? Which is kind of interesting to think about. We've just tried to get them here and then just kind of like left everything else just the way it was. You know, so if you think about the acquisition, kind of the marketing piece of it through the scheduling and even like you just mentioned, like that, you know, checking in uh, and things like that, we really haven't, you know, wayfinding some of that kind of stuff. But then like with discharge, we've just kind of decided to just let that go and just be like, oh, somebody will call them. Yeah, exactly. Or they'll get something in the mail. So now, you know, we're, we're, you know, trying to, you know, think about, well, you know, the billing aspect of it, certainly uh, discharge instructions, you know, making sure that, the, you know, we don't have any unnecessary uh, readmissions, you know, so there's different ways technology, you know, in the obviously certainly patient experience, but how technology kind of plays into all of this. Tying it back to, to this whole concept of simplification too, right? We have to use the right kind of health literacy 
when it comes to this. We we almost need to define a new category of health literacy around how do you understand your bill, frankly, right? Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. bill consolidation, right? No surprise billing that's happening everywhere. We have to understand that to eliminate that confusion because ultimately, as Laura puts out here as, as she closes her, her blog post here, imagine a patient's surprise, she says, when they receive an email with one bill that includes all the services that they received across multiple providers, coupled with facility charges and straightforward calculations of insurance coverage, deductibles, and the total amount owed. Mm. That almost sounds like it's, it's too far in the future. That does seem pretty far off. No, I mean, I think certainly there's certain organizations, just like any of this stuff, that do some of these things better than others. But, you know, I think this is a good kind of rundown, you know, where to focus, things to think about. It is a great transition to to the interview that we've got today, right? Recently, I had a chance to sit down with Chris Bevelo. You and I have known Chris for a long time. I, you know, this was, I think I first met Chris, gosh, probably 2008 or nine, somewhere in there, uh, kind of when we all met through some of the, you know, healthcare marketing Twitter chats and, and things like that. You know, he had his own agency at the time and uh, has since joined and become part of Revive over the years. But most people know him certainly is, you know, the first book he wrote, Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital. And then there's been a, a whole bunch since, right? And so he is now at the kind of 10-year mark of that first book coming out, uh, has written written the last one in the series, Joe Public 2030, Five Potent Predictions Reshaping How Consumers Engage Healthcare. And so I uh, was fortunate to be able to sit down with him recently. To, and we mentioned all five, but we really dug into a couple of those predictions and I think it goes uh, with today's show pretty nicely. So we'll uh, we'll do this. We'll take a quick uh, break here and then be back with the conversation uh, with Chris. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Today, truly grateful and excited to have on the show a longtime friend, supporter, uh, industry expert, Chris Bevelo. Reed, hey, great to be here, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, your name, I'm sure, is, is very familiar with many of the folks that are listening. And, and we'll get to why, you know, specifically uh, the timing and, you know, you're on the show today and all that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, excited to finally nail you down and get you get you on the shows. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk. It's uh, your show's been going for, you said before we started, six years. That is incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah we're, we're rolling into to year six and apparently people still listen. At least that's yeah. what us, so. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, cool. Well, hey, um, we're going to talk, there's a new book and we're, we're going to get to that, but many folks I'm sure are familiar with kind of the Joe Public series, whether it's the books, the retreat, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you guys and, and you specifically kind of spearheaded done over the years. 
talk maybe briefly why the original book, like why why the Joe Public series, you know, and then talk a little bit about kind of where we are today, which is which is kind of the the new and, and also I guess final addition to the to the series. Yeah, the original book, um, Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, which came out in 2011, was really the culmination of, I don't know, Reed, maybe four or five years of writing, do, I don't know, did a podcast starting in like 2009, speaking uh, all around what we saw as almost a desperate need for hospital and health systems to transform how they approach things. You know, I, I didn't really get into hospital marketing until, well, this sounds like it was just yesterday, like 2002. And so when you come from the outside and it doesn't take too long to look around and go, wow, things are different here. Things are different when you look <laughs> at it compared to other industries. And so we just started writing about it and it kind of came to a boiling point where we just said, we need to do something here. And so it's kind of fun to look back. I feel like it was a little naive to, to like stand up on a soapbox way back then. But it was but it was one of those situations, I think, where I'm not so far into it to have been just completely, you know, give up all hope. It was there was a little naivete which was helpful. To say like, hey, we can actually change things. Let's let's put it down on paper. And so that's what the book became, which was a collection. About 50% of it was already developed. And the rest we developed for the book was just a call for change, a call for transformation, which you know was really fun to write. And uh, I still hear about it today, Reed. I still hear people, which is kind of sad that 10 years later, it still has relevancy. But in some ways, it does. Uh, so you're telling me that still today, no one is perusing hospital websites uh, at leisure. I guess. <laughs> at leisure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do that every once in a while. I kick back on the couch and just go, I wonder what my local hospital's up to. Yeah. I wonder what, wonder what's going on over there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So there's, there's a new book and that's what we want to talk about today. Tell us conceptually what the book's about. I know there's some predictions and I think that's kind of a place for us to dive into, but maybe, maybe set it up for us a little bit. Yeah. So it was t- 2021. Uh, actually, the end of 2020, and we were approaching the 10-year anniversary of that very Joe Public book. We had put out two other ones, and we thought, okay, right, let's let's end the series. What should we do on the 10-year anniversary, which would have been last year? And so we thought, well, if it's been 10 years, let's just turn around 180 and look 10 years in the future. What would health system marketing and branding and communications look like in 10 years? And we set out, and I can talk a little bit about what we did to come up with what's in the book. And I would say about a third of the way through, we realized the things we were uncovering and the predictions that were starting to form really were were higher level than marketing and branding. They were about healthcare overall. Uh, And so the book is really, the trends are really about how consumers will engage in healthcare in 10 years over over this coming decade. It's so relevant and important for marketers and branders and communicators, you know, the folks that we spend all of our time with. Uh, but the book itself is really kind of at a higher level than that. I'm excited to, to kind of dig into it. I would love to hear, uh, I think there's five basic you know, concepts or, or predictions, right, in the yep. book. So yep. not to give away everything here, but maybe uh, if you could give us a little bit of insight into those five, and then maybe we'll, we'll find something to dig into. 
Yeah, for sure. And we can go as deep as we want to. I, you know, as with all of the books I've written, read the, I'm not retiring on the royalties from the books. <laughs> the point isn't to sell books. The point is to spread the word of some kind. Happy to share whatever we want to dig into. The, the five that we landed on. So we went through a process. We had no preconceived notions. We did not set out to say, let's prove this. So let's look at that. We just put everything on the table, started with a blank slate, tons of research, talked to a bunch of industry experts. And then what we pulled out were the five predictions that we thought uh, would have the most impact on our industry and also would maybe be the ones that people needed to really understand given their import. So so the five that we landed on, the first one's called Copernican Consumer. It's probably the most obvious, which is Copernican, if you remember Nicholas Copernicus from your astronomy courses in high school or way back when was the dude back way back when who said the sun is the center of the universe. Uh, and so this prediction is about consumers being the center of their health universe. Now, of course, Copernicus was wrong about his prediction, which we understand the irony of that. This is also a prediction too. But this is a little different than what we, we've we talked about in this industry forever, which is the idea of patient centricity and you know consumer focus. This is This is about not people being the center of the experience when they come to you as a provider. It's about everything revolving around them where they are at, which these days is typically not in a care setting. It's at home, it's at the store, it's wherever they may be, right? Now that sounds pretty obvious. The predictions though, the, the, the kind of that come out of that one are things like there's going to be a lot of self-service. You're going to be able to manage your health from your computer. It's AI-driven, blockchain-supported. Every input that you can imagine from your refrigerator to your Peloton, from your EMR to your health plan data can all come together to really be something that's at your fingertips, you know, managed by some kind of platform, right? Uh, it could have real ramifications for providers like primary care doctors who right now really struggle with with doing anything that we need them to do because there's just not enough time. This may displace a lot of them. So there's a lot of implications here. It's about technology. It's about bringing services to people. Uh, but I, as I said, it's probably the one, it's a good one to start with for folks when they read the book because it'll be, it kind of ease them into the other. So that's the first one. The second one is called uh, constricted consumerism, which is Basically, we've we've been lauding this idea of consumerism for 20 years. That's how long we've been talking about consumerism. And it really has not borne the fruit it's supposed to. And the research we did and the experts we talked to said, it's not going to. In fact, consumers are going to find their choices more and more constrained and restricted over the next 10 years, particularly for higher cost, higher acuity care. So think hospital care, that type of thing. So that's a little contrarian to what you hear about consumerism uh, overall. So that's the second one. The third one's called the funnel wars. And what we mean by that is the funnel, if you can imagine a funnel, we're talking about the acuity funnel where people enter the health system or when they need medical care at the top of the funnel. So think urgent care, emergent care, retail care, virtual care. And then they traditionally kind of move down funnel to medical care, uh, specialty care, surgical care, down to kind of tertiary and quaternary care. And most hospitals and health systems focus on that middle portion because that's where the financial support is. But the key is, and research shows, to fill up the higher margin you know, encounters, you need to pour people through the top of the funnel. 
Now, the reason we call it the funnel wars is that also happens to be where some of the biggest players and the most money in the world is pointed at. So the top five Fortune 500 companies, all of them, either 100% or significantly focused on that top of the funnel, all the venture capital, all the startup, all they want to do is take away people from your top of, of your funnel. And that means the patient relationships at stake. And some of the people we talked to said this could and will, in some of their views, end up having a lot of health systems shrink in size, become what they call downstream vendors of care, almost like a B2B relationship where they're no longer consumer brands. They're dependent on Amazon or Walmart or CVS for patient referrals. So that's a big one for the industry. The fourth one is called the rise of health sex. And I always have to spell that last word, S-E-C-T-S, which is all about the politicalization of healthcare, which of course has been front and center for two years because of COVID. Uh, The prediction actually goes as far to say, at some point within the next 10 years, we are bound to see politically oriented provider organizations crop up. So imagine a clinic, imagine a hospital that is has a certain worldview that aligns with a certain segment of the population. Uh, we're already seeing you know, hints of this now, and it really is going to cause issues for traditional providers. Uh, a lot of headaches, a lot of reputational issues, a lot of business issues. Uh, it almost seems, it's surprising to me, Reed, we haven't already seen that. So that's the fourth one. And then the fifth one, And as you've gathered, we've gone from like, hey, these are really cool to starting to get a little um, depressing, maybe is the right word. (laughs) The the fifth, this was not intentional, by the way, uh, but it just, it is what it is. The fifth one's called disparity dystopia. And basically what that says is without some kind of significant national moonshot-like initiative, the disparities and equities that people suffer from in terms of health are only going to get worse. And they're only going to get worse because there's other issues like climate change uh, that are going to have a huge impact on our country and disproportionately affect those already suffering from health disparities and inequities. Aging of America, the technology gap, and affordability, all four of those, unless we do something really significant, are going to make things worse and not better. And so, you know, at the end of the book, I realized after we were done, I'm like, wow, that that certainly took a turn as you go through those five. Uh, but but again, the point is kind of what's the the cliche? Half of solving a problem is admitting you have one. And so this is where the data took us. This is where the experts took us. If these are the issues in front of us, we need to put them on the table, at least to understand. But also, um, you know, the way we put it is the future is what you make it. We don't like these predictions. We don't like where we're headed. Then what are we going to do about it? That's fascinating. That's really interesting. And I think maybe a little bit of a different slant, even if it's even just a few degrees off of what maybe we assume or that we're talking about today, right? And, you know, going back to the, you know, constricted consumerism, we love to still talk about consumerism. And we love to talk about the fact, and I don't think this is wrong necessarily, but that, you know, the pandemic has pushed the urgency around a lot of these things, you know, the expectations that people have on what they can and can't do. And we, we, we uh, obviously focus this, you know, Chris and I have, Boyer and I have a lot uh, of the online world, right? Because that's where we spend all of our time, you know, what, 
you know, the utility and the nature of, you know, how somebody uses a hospital website. You know, people aren't coming there to do a lot of research, right? It, it's a transaction. You know, I need to pay my bill, schedule something. Maybe I'm doing a chat bot or something, trying to get something figured out. You know, th- there's a utility or transaction to it. Uh, but what, you know, kind of what are your thoughts around, you know, consumerism and how we talk about that versus what this reality may look like in a few years? Yeah, you know, it's my joke read is when I first started talking about consumerism, I used to use a picture of my daughter in a high chair and she had spaghetti over her face. She had this look on her face and and I'm like, that's your consumer. That's what she feels like when she goes in your clinic and she has to wait an hour or when she has to pick up a five-year-old copy of Golf Digest or she can't get in to see a specialist. Um, And the joke of that is that daughter just graduated high school. (laughs) <laughs> last summer, right? That's how long we've been talking about this. And and there are experts that we talked to who said like, it ain't going to happen. And, and so I had somebody, uh, when I spoke about this last month say, well, does that mean we shouldn't, we should stop caring about access and experience and some of the things you're talking about, like making things easier. It's like, no, not at all. Uh, the truth of the matter is though, as, as consumers move forward, uh, even though they're spending more of their own money, which is supposed to be a driver of consumerism, they're going to find their paths more and more restricted when it comes to their options, unless they want to pay a lot more. And that's that's payers, you know, kind of doing what payers do, what they've always done. That's providers, mergers and acquisitions, consolidation in this field only makes for less options. Uh, there's just a lot of different dynamics that are trending in the wrong way. So even though we talk about the Copernican consumer, that's true. And even though the importance of things like access and experience and convenience are super important to the funnel, top of the funnel, boy, it, it just sure sounds like uh, there's all these forces aligned to really say, like, you know, if you want to get your surgery, here are your two choices. Uh, unless you want to pay like 50 grand out of pocket, here are your two choices. And it's not just surgery. It's everything from pharmaceuticals to, to you name it. So if I had set out to prove something for this book when we wrote it, it would have not been that. I would have been the opposite. I would have said like, you need to double down. Consumerism is so important. So that's the one that kind of proves that we did not have any kind of preconceived notions well, it's got real implications, and it makes me think a little bit of a recent conversation. We had Dr. Brian Vardabedian on the show here recently, and, you know, of course, he, he's a practicing pediatric GI doc in Houston, and, you know, we're talking about this article, I think it was in Stat News or something, about uh, UCSF charging for my chart emails. A little bit of a qualifier. If, if you're using my chart for a prescription refill Great, no harm, no foul. What they were seeing and what he's seeing is people are sending three thousand word essays, you know, through my chart, and and, and it's basically like, okay, you can go see a doctor live, face to face. You can see a doctor virtually, right, and on video. Well, now they're forcing the issue of like basically seeing a physician in the written word. Like, I mean, they're sending something that then someone has to sit down and actually making a, a medical assessment on what you're sending them. And so that UCSF is charging for that or they're billing insurance for it or whatever, you know, which is kind of interesting. And so it made me think, okay, well, all right. So that's consumerism to some extent, right? Like, I mean, people want to be able to do this thing, right? They want to have this kind of transactional relationship, 
But yet operationally, we haven't even decided what that means for us. Like we, you know, we, we, and I'm pointing to me, people can't see this, but I'm pointing to me, you know, we, the hospitals, we, the health systems are beating the drum of like my chart adoption. Right. Not realizing what that's doing operationally to these physician practices and this kind of stuff. And so I think the consumers, and this is part of that, maybe not the same type of restriction, but it's very similar in the sense that like, it sounds good kind of up here in a, in a meeting room somewhere of just like, we got to get more people using my chart and it's going to reduce this and it's going to cut out that. And it's going to, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, but now we've got a group of physicians that came and agree on what to do collectively with the messages that they're getting, you know, and we're causing that issue, you know? And it's totally understandable. And, you know, it's so interesting to look at the pandemic and see what changes that's wrought. I think that's a huge probably driver of what you're talking about. It still astounds me, Reed, that before the pandemic, it was against regulations to have a virtual visit with somebody who was in their home. I just stop and think about that. Like, nope, can't do it. They can't be in their home. It's like, what? how was that the deal in January of 2020? But it was, right? Some of this stuff, I think, has changed rightly. But you're right. Like I use my MyChart email all the time, but it's to inquire about things. It's to say, who do I see about this? Um, and they have like a whole litany of things before I send that email that says like it could be it could be charged, right? You know, it'd be great if we could figure that out. Um, that's a little bit about the Copernican consumer because the people who can figure that out are the Amazons and the CVSs and the ones who have scale. And that's interesting. You're talking about the funnel wars. I hadn't really thought much about that in the sense of a of a kind of visually, I guess, as a funnel, right? And, and you're right. I mean, it it's, doesn't take a rocket scientist to just like, you know, look at your office window and start like, you know, pointing at all the places that, you know, you can go, uh, their access points for care, you know. Of all the people I know that have been vaccinated, for example, I can't think of a single one that did it at a hospital, right? It was all CVS, Walgreens, or the grocery store. It was it was one of those three locations or the fairgrounds because they had the big, you know, and you take a through and you get, yep. you know, you get <laughs> stabbed in the you know ag center parking lot or whatever. I used to always make fun of wait time campaigns and like, why are we promoting the ER and things like that? And while I still am not sure that those are good ideas, it is kind of that top of the funnel piece, right? Like we know that X amount of people that walk through this door or that door or this entry point or whatever are going to, you know, they're going to find their way down the funnel, whether it's Amazon or CVS or whoever. I mean, they're not going to do inpatient care. Like that's not what, you know, so what does it leave them with? It leaves them with that access point stuff, you know, and that turns us into a B2B uh, relationship like you just talked about. Yeah. And that, you know, sometimes we hear from clients like, well, who let them have the flu shots. I don't, we don't care about that. We don't make any money with that. It's like, yes, that's true. But, you know, I think it was the CEO of Walgreens who came out a few weeks ago and said, our job in healthcare is to keep people out of the health system. Some of these entities want to manage the health of consumers. And that's where the patient relationship has a much stronger opportunity to grab hold. It's not with the surgery you have once every five years. It's your ongoing health maintenance. And if CVS or Amazon or Apple, as another example, can own it there, then they're going to be so influential in telling you, you need surgery? 
you know, Optum is another example, right? I mean, here you've got the biggest insurer, health insurer in the country who also happens to be, if you want to use the number of own physicians as your marker, the largest health system in the country. They employ more physicians than any other health system. Optum does. And so it's not just the retailers, it's, uh, or Apple or the tech companies, it's Optum as well. And so what was interesting, Reed, was kind of coming to the conclusion that, wow, this is this could be big, and then putting that in front of some serious folks out in the industry. We're talking like CEOs of health systems and venture capitalists, and having any number of them say, oh, this isn't a question of if. It's a question of when and where. Like it'll depend on the market. Like you might have a Geisinger or an Intermountain that does just fine, but for a lot of systems, they're going to lose out. And it depends on, you know, how strong the blues are in their market or the competition or whatever. But it wasn't, th- they were so definitive in saying this is going to shake out way more than uh, folks might expect. Most folks listening to the show are marketing communications professionals, typically, you know, in a provider organization. There are there things that that now that you're thinking of, like, man, here here's what folks need to start doing. These are thinking about conversations to be had, you know, that people we need to start being best friends with, you know, things like, you know, what what comes to mind? What's something that folks can kind of take and do uh, today? It, the whole idea here is that you want to kind of take this in. Um, the book starts, read by saying, you're not going to agree with the contents of this book. You're, you're just not. Like, at least not all of them, right? So that's not the point. The point isn't to be right. The point is to drive conversation and debate. And so it starts by by saying, okay, which of these predictions, A, do I think has a shot, and B, would have the most impact on my organization? So just start with that. Uh, and then kind of fi- figure out like, okay, if this were to come even half true, what does that mean for our brand? What does that mean for how we market, right? So the first thing to do is to kind of sit down and say, hey, there's a lot here when there's, we can't boil the ocean. Uh, but this one prediction, I think we really need to pay attention to for whatever reason in my organization. And I'm going to share this with people who I think would care about this internally. I'm going to get their viewpoint. We're going to come up with our own kind of perception uh, on what this might take. And then we're going to start saying, hey, if this is what it looks like in five years, what do we need to start doing now? So creating kind of a rough roadmap, right? Um, If you did that, then I think you really are taking the idea of not just watching what's coming and responding but you will in some ways be shaping that future. That's the hope is that people take it like that. Um, but it really starts with just like isolating which of these things you think are going to have the most impact on you yourself and starting with that. That's great. That's great. Well, man, I could, I could keep going and maybe we will, maybe we'll have you back on and, and pick another, another prediction and, and just, just keep the conversation going. But. You guys should read the book and then we can come back on and we can, you can say, this was a bunch of bleep like this one right here. Help us understand how the heck you came up with that. We're all for the debates and all for the pushback. So, so yeah, you guys should, you guys should do that. We'll definitely <laughs> do it. Well, man, for folks that uh, want to connect, maybe want to ask questions, uh, that kind of thing, what's the best way for people to uh, track you down? Well, the best way is probably on LinkedIn, where you can just find me at Chris Bevelo. Just search Chris Bevelo. Back on Twitter. So you can find me there at Chris Bevelo. 
um, usually spouting off about sports and things, but we'll be talking about the book there as well. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put links to all that and we'll, uh, we'll make sure we grab an Amazon link or something from you for those that are interested in, in tracking down a copy of the book, but, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we include all that in the show notes, but man, really appreciate you coming on. It's been in a few minutes and look forward to uh, having you back in the future. Yeah, it's been great Rita. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Chris Bevelo for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate him and his time and his expertise. Um, it was good to uh, finally get him on, and, and timing was good with the new book and all that kind of fun stuff. So certainly appreciate him. Mm-hmm. Again, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Uh, sign up for the TPS report while you're there. In addition to those five articles that we mentioned earlier, uh, also a couple of links upcoming industry conferences, things like that, just to keep that uh, front and center. Uh, in case you may want to attend some in-person or virtual education this year. I'll tell you what, let's do a couple of recommendations and we'll call it a week. Okay, Reed, I have a recommendation. Uh, I don't know about you, but I live in a household where even though I'm trying to move everything to a wireless kind of format, there's still a lot of cables lying around. There's not only cables all over your desk, you know, where where you hook up your computer and your monitor and stuff like that, but all those just like little cables that allow you to connect to different things, right? Like your your iPhone charger cable or the the cable that you use to plug in your ring device when it runs low on batteries or or your Fitbit charger cables, all these different types of cables. And we've been collecting all of our cables into a little bag. Whenever we need to charge something, we reach in the bag, we pull on an adapter in the cable. But that was a little bit of a mess because, you know, they all get tangled together until we recently uh, invested in something really inexpensive, but it, it was great. Some cord organizers. Um, in fact, the, the brand I'm going to yeah. recommend is the Yohawk Go cord organizers. Uh, we got a package of eight different types of cord organizers and what they look like are just like little clips you take your cords you you wrap them around and then you put these little like kind of leather clips with with fasteners around them and you keep them self-contained and i tell you i am no longer spending time untangling cables like i would christmas tree lights you know every year this is just makes it so much easier that's my recommendation nice i have to check those out um, I am actually going to recommend – I broke down – so my AirPods, first generation or original ones, I don't know, whatever you call the very first ones that ever came out. They just weren't holding a charge. I don't know. They just, I don't know. I just didn't like them. They just weren't working all that great. And so I broke down and bought a new pair of AirPod Pros. Man, way, way better. Number one, they stay in my ear more effectively. I can hear better. Of course, it has the noise canceling and all that kind of stuff. So if you travel and you want to watch, you know, movies on a plane or something like that, I'm sure you know that'd be great for that. Battery life is amazing, and uh, this this works so much better. Of course, if you're active and you you know, want to use them when you walk or run or something like that, they would do much much better in that that respect as well. Uh, I assume the third generation ones that kind of look like them. They don't, they don't have the little rubber tips, you know, to kind of hold in your ear or whatever. Probably are also great. Uh, I can't attest to that. But the AirPod Pros, if you get them off Amazon, they're actually cheaper. But yeah, so if you're in the in the market, you're kind of thinking about it, or you want to kind of upgrade the old ones, uh, they're worth it. They're good. Really, really good. I like them. It's very timely. Uh, very timely for you to make that recommendation. Love it. Great recommendation. 
All right. Well, that again, uh, episode number 263 is in the books. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. We certainly appreciate it. Tell a friend. Uh, Look forward to seeing everybody this year, hopefully in person at a few conferences. But be sure to reach out. Twitter, LinkedIn, best way to track us down. So I'm Chris Boyer. I'm Brent Smith. We'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.